I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah 43. Last week, I told you I was going to do uh, the final two points of the outline that I gave you, and I'm actually only going to do the final point because I think the third point we kind of covered with the second point. So if I, that thoroughly confuses everybody, I'm going to deal with that last point, and I'm actually changing it all up. So, uh, But I am going to deal with, with what I said I was going to deal with in that last point last week. So if you weren't here last week, just ignore what I'm saying. This will stand on its own, and, and it'll be good, I hope, I pray. Um, we're going to focus in on, really, uh, these first uh, seven verses, but really particularly verse 7, most of all, and verse 1 as well, because some of the thing, same things are mentioned in verse 1 that are mentioned in verse 7, and that's why we're focusing on them, because of the repetition. Isaiah 43, uh, 1 through 7, let's read the whole thing here. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who forms you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy word. You can understand much about the meaning of a Bible passage simply by noticing the words that are repeated. Fear not is repeated twice in this uh, section that we just read in uh, verse 1 and, and verse 5. And so obviously this passage is commanding God's people not to fear. He lists a number of reasons why they need not fear, most of which we have been examining over the past few weeks. Today I want to dwell on some other words which are repeated in this passage. And you'll notice there that verse 1 begins... But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. And then if you look at verse 7, where God identifies the ones he is going to gather up, everyone who's called by my, by, my, by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. So these words, created and formed, are the words I want to focus on today. Created and formed are words that are stressed in this passage of comfort to God's people. And I want to answer the question, why is it particularly important and encouraging to the Christian to remember that God created and formed his people? That's the truth that's there. God created and formed his people. But before we answer that question, why it's particularly important and encouraging to the Christian, we must understand what is meant by created and formed, what is it, to what is he referring, what he, to what event is this passage referring? Now I am, I am contending that it is not uh, referring to physical creation, although it is true that God physically 
uh, created everyone. He is the creator. I'm not, I'm not, not affirming that. But rather, I believe in this passage, he is speaking of all the special acts God performed on their behalf in order for them to be his particular people. Uh, Through what he did, he created and formed a people for himself. That's why he did it. God made them his particular special people by redeeming them, by calling them. They are God's specific people whom he has ransomed. To God, they are precious and honored. They are those people whom he values and loves and therefore will not abandon in the fire and through the flood. Now, all created human beings are not the objects of these special acts. For example, we just read in this passage that there are some men who are ransomed and other people who are given in exchange, or they are ransomed so that the other group can be ransomed. So there's making, there, it's making a distinction between two groups of people. Some are ransomed, and some are given as a ransom. So the ransomed can be ransomed, if that makes sense. Uh, Jacob, or Israel, is ransomed, and Egypt is not. They are given up for ransom, so that Israel might be ransomed. Now, God is telling them this. He wants them to know this, to be reminded of this. He is stressing it to them. Uh, He's reminding them of all those special acts that he has performed on their behalf in order to create and form them into a people for himself. And he's done the same as Christians because we have been grafted into that body. God's people, uh, by faith, we are children of Abraham. Paul talks about in Romans that we have been grafted in to that tree and we are part of the people of God whom he has created and formed. And we need to remember that and know that it is important for us to remember and to be encouraged by it. And I'm going to give at the end four different reasons that we should be encouraged, some things that we can take away from from this fact. But let us develop it a bit more. These same words used here in Isaiah 43, the words created and formed, are the same words that are used in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was, was without form, that word form, and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That's Genesis 1, 1 through 2. So God created the heavens and the earth from nothing. Uh, They did not create themselves. There wasn't wasn't a time when uh, creation decided, oh, I think I'm going to create myself. That's kind of an absurd statement when you think about it. There wasn't even darkness until God created light on the first day. Nothing was there. And then God created it. What follows in Genesis 1, after verses 1 and 2, is a description of God's forming and filling this formless and void creation. So he created it, then he formed it and filled it. And you'll notice that on the first three days, God forms things, and then on the next three days, that which he has formed he fills, and there's a, there's a parallel there. So on, on day one, 
God creates night and day. On day two, he creates the sky. And then on day three, he creates the, the land and the seas and the vegetation on the land. So it's kind of like he's created this canvas. And now he's going to start filling it in. So first day, when he created night and day, on day four, the second set of three, uh, he fills the day and night with the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then on day five, he fills the sky that he's created, that he's formed, and the water, he fills them with birds and fish. And on day six, that which he created on day three, the land and the sea, uh, he fills that land with animals and, of course, human beings, Adam and Eve as well. So it was formless and empty. That's what the word void means. And God formed it and he filled, filled it. So there's kind of a neat parallel that goes there in those first six days. So God created everything. He forms it and creates it. And the same, uh, the same thing is true of the church. That which is true of creation is also true of the church and individual members of the church. And when I say church, just let me clarify that. When I say church, I mean the true body of Christ. All those from every tongue, tribe, and nation from all time who are putting their trust in, in Christ Jesus as their Savior. And it's what theologians call the invisible church. And we make a distinction between the visible church and the invisible church. The visible church is all those who are member of faithful churches, you know, people who, who would call themselves Christians. But of course we know that not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is actually a Christian. They're, they're hypocrites. They're false professors in the church. That's the visible church, anybody who makes a profession. But the invisible church is everybody who truly who truly is putting their trust in Christ from all time. In other words, it's synonymous with the actual body of Christ. Everybody who will ever truly put their faith in Christ, who will be saved. So when I say the church, I mean the true church, everyone who is truly uh, a Christian. Creation did not create itself, like we said, um, and the church did not create itself church didn't, you know, like I said before, creation didn't say, hey, I think today I want to be created. I want to be, I want to come into existence. The church didn't say that. I mean, that's, that's absurd, right? The church can't say, oh, I think I want to become the church now. Um, the church did not decide to create itself. God created it, and he formed it, and he is forming it. And a Christian cannot become a Christian by deciding to make oneself a Christian. God creates and forms a Christian. And I think it's there where we need to, to lay the stress. 2 Corinthians 5.17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now, if I ask you the question, Are you a Christian? Now, if your answer to that question is, I am trying to be, then you're possibly going about it the wrong way. You're trying to make yourself a Christian. A person cannot make himself or herself a Christian on his or her own. You don't have the power to do that. Just as you don't 
You know, creation didn't have the power to create itself. A man cannot make himself a Christian any more than a man can make himself a man. Any more than a man can create himself from the dust. A woman cannot make herself a Christian any more than a woman can form herself from a rib. Becoming a Christian is a divine work. Only God can do it. So stop trying to make yourself a Christian and ask God to make you a Christian. You are powerless to change yourself. And, and we need to know that being a Christian is, is not moral reform. It's not cleaning up your act, though a lot of people think that's what being a Christian means. It's not trying to be good so God will accept me. Becoming a Christian is becoming a new creation. Unlike creation, where God created everything out of nothing, the Christian is created by God using pre-existing material. We're here, but we're sinners. Uh, we are hard-hearted human beings who are by nature in rebellion against God. And then God comes in and gives the person a new heart, a new spirit, a renewed mind. He creates spiritual life where there was only spiritual death. Paul talks about this, this in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So Paul tells everybody, you know, without exception, you're all dead in sins and trespasses. That's where, that's where uh, human beings, uh, that's where they are when they come into this world. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, you know the wonderful words of Ephesians 2, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. See, it's clear as, clear as day there. It's not your work. It's God's work. It's not your, your doing. It's God's doing. Verse 10. We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith alone is what you need to be a Christian. Recognizing that you're powerless to change yourself you, you cannot please God on your own and that you, are, that you are in need of His intervention in your life. That's the first step. Asking the Lord to cleanse you, to make you one of His children and, and form you into the person He wants you to be, to form you into the image of Christ. I encourage you to trust Him to do that today. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible promises that. Now that word workmanship, it's a wonderful word. 
that Paul uses there in Ephesians 2. It's the Greek word poiema. And that is from, we, from that word, poiema, we get our word poem. Poem. Now, everybody here has probably attempted to write poetry. You know, you, maybe, you, maybe you like to do that in your spare time. I don't know. But probably most people don't do it in their spare time. But you're probably at least forced to do it in school at some point, to give it a try, to write some poetry. And uh, you probably found out that it's not an easy thing to do. And maybe it's probably not one of your favorite activities to engage in. It takes work, and it requires some artistic skill in order to write good poetry. And everybody loves good poetry. I mean, even though you may not pick up a, a book of poems uh, at, the, at your local library or at the bookstore and spend your time reading uh, Shakespeare's sonnets or, or whatever, uh, we all love the poetry that is in, involved in music because lyrics are nothing but poetry set to music. And so we, we are surrounded by poetry every day, and we appreciate good music, good poetry, a well-turned phrase, lyrics that uh, really speak to us, strike at the heart of some human emotion that we connect with, and it really does fill us with joy because we appreciate the artist's skill. And, and I bet everyone here would probably have a favorite musician, someone we really like to, to listen to. We like maybe the, the lyrics of their songs. Well, that's a, a tip of the hat to the artist's skill. His workmanship are these songs. He's crafted these, these songs and these lyrics in order to communicate with us something very special. And that's the word that's being used here about, about the Christian. We are God's workmanship. We are his works of art. Uh, he, he is like a sculptor, and he is forming and shaping us into the image of Christ and he is creating something beautiful where there was nothing beautiful before. And he gets all the glory for it. Look at verse 7 of Isaiah 43. He, he talks about uh, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Now when you see uh, a great work of art, a beautiful painting, a, a beautiful sculpture, uh, a great uh, poem or, or song that you really uh, connect with, you say, wow, you know, Rembrandt was a great painter. Uh, you know, Michelangelo was a great painter. We, we think of these people and we uh, give them glory because they were very skilled artisans. When, when God comes into your life and he begins to transform it, what should happen is people should, who know you should say, wow, look what God is doing in that person's life. Look at the changes that he's making. Look at the transformation that God has brought into their lives. Now, sometimes it, it feels uncomfortable because the sculptor has to use a hammer sometimes and knocks away uh, things that, uh, that aren't beautiful. And sometimes it feels like the, the artist, God, uh, is hurting us rather than helping us. But he's a skilled craftsman, a great artist, and he knows what he's doing. And we should appreciate that, that God is working on us. He's, he's promised to transform us and to make us a new creation. He's made us a new creation and he's continuing to form it into a beautiful work of art. Now this type of transformation does not come by trying to be religious. A lot of people think that. Paul says in Galatians, 
Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. That's what really counts. It isn't taking part in religious ceremonies like circumcision or refraining from them. It's, about, it's all about being a new creation that comes through faith in Christ, the one who died on the cross for our sins. It's the, re- it's the work of God, and we need to recognize it as such and appreciate it. Remembering that God is the one who creates and forms the Christian does several things for us. <clears throat> Let's make some practical applications of this fact that, that God has created and formed us for himself. First of all, <clears throat> first, first application, it eliminates self-righteousness. You know, Christians often are some of the most self-righteous people around. We're accused of that a lot, and we can be very hypocritical. That's true. It's because we've forgotten that it's God's work and, and not ours. You know, if you're a Christian today, it's not because you're smarter than everybody else and you're smart enough to choose Jesus. It's not that you are better than everybody else or that you have more willpower than the next person to, to conform morally to the standard. No, it's because God invaded your life with his grace, with his life-creating power, and he transformed you from darkness into light, from, from death to life. Everything that you have is a gift from God. It's, it's by his grace, Paul said in Ephesians 2 and in many other places. When you self-righteously think that you're better than other people, you're like a person uh, who takes credit for writing someone else's song. You know, there's a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of sampling of music today in popular music. You know, they borrow someone else's songs and they create a new song using the rhythms and melodies of, of another artist. And they have to pay royalties for that. They have to pay the art, other artist uh, who actually created the tunes and the songs because they can't take credit for what's not theirs. It's not right. And when we act self-righteous, that's what we're doing. We're saying it's about us and not about God's grace in our lives. So remembering this, remembering that we are created and formed by God, helps keep us from being self-righteous. We continue on to to read uh, down in 43. If you look at verse 11, it says uh, he continues to wrestle with the people of God. You know, what I've read to you, verses 1 through 7, are very, you know, encouraging. It's one of the most encouraging passages in all the Bible. Uh, But if you read before it and afterward, God is, is, uh, is arguing with his people. He's trying to wake them up because they have forgotten what's written in verses 1 through 7. They have ears, but they don't hear, he says, and eyes, but they don't see. He's saying, come on, let's, let's wrestle this out. Listen to what I'm saying and, re, and, and re, be reminded of what I'm reminding you of here. I, verse 11, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. Those other gods that you tend to follow, they're not your saviors. You are not your own Savior. I am the only Savior. So it eliminates self-righteousness. We're completely dependent upon him. Now, second of all, uh, remembering that God is the one that creates and forms the Christian discourages us from idolatry. In verse 10, if we look at the whole uh, context there, he, he talks about the fact that before me, the second part of verse 10, before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I am, I am, I am the Lord, 
and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, and henceforth I am he, and there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, verse 15, I am the Lord, your Holy One. You see, he's trying to remind them of who their God is. You know, they're... They're idols that they follow, the Baals and the Ashtaroths and the Canaanite gods that they so quickly fell into worshiping. Those gods did nothing for them. They didn't save them. They didn't help them. And when we think about our own idols, the things that we worship, the things that we put of greater importance in our lives above God, those things don't help us like God helps us. They can't change us and transform us and make us a beautiful work of art like God can. So remembering that it is God who is at work creating and forming us discourages us from looking elsewhere for that creation and formation that we desire in our lives. Thirdly, remembering that God is the one that creates and forms the Christian encourages us in difficult times. And really that that strikes at the heart of what this passage is saying Back in in, uh, the first couple of verses, verse 2, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You go on down to verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. He makes the way. Verse 19. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. You know, they could look all kinds of places for help. And they could come up against some times that were very difficult in their lives, like many of, many of you experience in your lives, and like I've experienced in my life. Difficult things. But God makes a way for his people. And it makes sense, because if he has gone to all the effort to create and form a people for himself, he's not going to abandon you midstream. He's not going to leave you in the fiery furnace alone. He's going to come right in there with you and walk through, walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, the shadow, shadow of death. He's going to be with you because you are his people. You are his creation, and he is forming you. And he actually uses the fires and the flames and the rivers and the floods to mold and shape you into the image of Christ. It's hard to see sometimes, but it encourages us in difficult times to know that he is with us. He will not abandon his creation. He will not leave his people uh, on their own, to make it on their own. And then finally, fourth thing that we, that we uh, gain from remembering that it is God who creates and forms his people, and it leads us to repentance. If you look at verse 20, after he's t- told them that he'll make a way in the desert, he says, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. He's repeating it the same thing. He formed them for myself. Yet, verse 22, you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. They stopped calling upon God. They got tired of God. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me 
You have not bought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. You have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. So see, he's, he's trying to help them see, look, I am your Savior. I am the one who created and formed you. Why are you forgetting me? Why are you ignoring me? Why are you pushing me to the side? Why are you tired of me? I'm the one that makes the way in the desert. I have not put burdens upon you, but yet you've burdened me with your sins and your rejection. But still, he, he invites them in verse 25, I'm the one that blots out transgressions. Come to me. Remember me. I'm the only one that can save you. Come to me. And that's a great thing for us to remember today. We think about our own sins, our own weariness of God, our own weariness of walking the Christian life, these difficult times in which we live, maybe difficult circumstances in your own personal life. Turn to the Lord. He's the only one that saves. He's created you, and he, will, he is forming you into the image of Christ. He is he's working. Even when you think he's just hitting you with a hammer, he's working and forming and shaping you into his image, making you into a beautiful work of art for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we have in your word. Thank you for just showing us so much love in spite of our inability to grasp it. Uh, because of our cold hearts, Lord, we pray that you would bring us warmth and heat, that we might love you and be uh, those who call upon your name always, who live in complete dependence upon you. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you as that Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just call them to yourself, that you would invade their lives with your transforming grace, and that they would cry out to you and say, make me a Christian, Lord, change me, save me. And Lord, we thank you that you've promised that anyone who comes to you, you will not cast away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.